Lift up your heart, lift up your voice, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. I do hope you rejoice today. Uh, Not necessarily because the Easter Bunny came to see you. Uh, Not necessarily because it's Sunday and you're not working today. Uh, Not even necessarily because you have an Easter lunch uh, awaiting you that rivals uh, the spread of Grandma's Thanksgiving uh, dinner. But I hope you rejoice today. I hope we all rejoice today uh, because we know the significance of this day on our calendars. I hope we rejoice today over the content and implications of the gospel of Jesus Christ. After all, that's what this day is all about. That's what this weekend has been about. That's what this church strives to be uh, about. That's what this book, the Bible, is all about. And so for our gathering this morning, I want to search the scriptures. I want us to turn to the scriptures and seek to answer two questions related to the gospel of grace. And firstly, what is the gospel? What is uh, the gospel? And secondly, what does the gospel do? What does the gospel do? Why does it it matter? So let me invite you to uh, open the scriptures with me, to open the Bible with me to the New Testament letter of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you don't have uh, a Bible, if you don't have a copy of God's Word with you or a Bible app, let me encourage you to look on with a neighbor or uh, perhaps use a pew Bible uh, that you can find around you if you're using a pew Bible. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 should be uh, around page 933. But here at Meadowbrook, we stand in a long line of Christians uh, who believe that the Bible is the Word of God given to us and for us that's come to us through human personality. And so in 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul, a convert to faith in Jesus and a pioneer missionary, summarizes the content of this gospel of grace. So let me encourage you, let me uh, invite you to join me standing for the reading of God's word out of reverence and respect for the one whose word uh, it is that we are reading. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, read this way. Now, brothers and sisters... I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. Let's bow in prayer. Father God, we uh, invite you now, we ask you now to lead us with the presence and guidance and power of your spirit to rightly understand these truths, the truths conveyed in your word, and to respond in a way that glorifies your name. It's in the name of Jesus we pray and ask these things. Amen. You may be seated. Church in high school, uh, at least for a little while, uh, my least favorite subject was English. Over the years, that uh, has changed a bit. I've learned to to enjoy, to really enjoy reading and to enjoy writing from time to time, Uh, but uh, it took some time. Uh, Dr. Gorman was a fantastic uh, 11th grade AP English teacher, uh, but I didn't care too much about the summer reading she assigned. It was about that time that somebody, one of my classmates, introduced me to Mr. Cliff and his notes. 
meant to be a study guide and aid to reading, not a replacement to it, right, students? But if I was to, to write a Cliff Notes version of the Scriptures, a Cliff Notes version of the Bible, I think this passage would have to be in it. For here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we, we read a summary of the message of the Gospel. Like the Scriptures describe uh, our Holy Week happenings, the happenings that we celebrate over the last few days, culminating in this day, Resurrection Sunday, describe those uh, events as the Gospel. And according to the Scriptures... The gospel is extraordinary news. The gospel is extraordinary news. Now, just a few days ago, uh, I received word from uh, my accountant that based upon um, taxes paid in 2016 that I don't owe the federal government any more money uh, for income uh, received in 2016. Now, that's good news, right? Uh, in fact, uh, if the IRS approves this, there will even be a little bit of money uh, refunded uh, to me and my family. Nothing substantial, nothing life-changing. For me to describe that news, that is good news, as gospel would be a mistake. Because gospel, according to the scriptures, uh, is a word that refers to uh, life-changing news as opposed to ordinary daily news. In fact, the word for gospel was already in circulation during the time in which the New Testament was written. It's a word that combi- uh, combines the word for announcing uh, news with the, the uh, prefix for joyful. Uh, it's news that, that brings joy, news that results in joy. It's more than uh, advice. It's news to be responded to. Indeed, according to the Scriptures, the gospel is uh, history-altering, eternity-affecting News. It's an eternity-affecting message that is from God. So let me invite you this morning to hear God's message. To hear God's message. If the Bible is the Word of God, if the Bible is from God, and I believe that it is, then it is His Word for us. This is His message for us. Today, as you know, is Easter Sunday. I'm thrilled that you've gathered as body of believers to worship the Lord, to hear from Him. I'm humbled that you expect me to have something significant to say to you. But at the end of this day, I hope you're not talking about me and my message. I hope you're talking about the Lord's message. I hope you're talking about God's message, for the gospel is is God's message. And the gospel says we are more sinful than we know. The message of the gospel, the central message of our faith, the central message of the Christian faith, the central message of scriptures communicates that we are more sinful than we know. Just a few days ago, I went in for a routine oil change and tire rotation. Upon departure, I was given a list of repairs and maintenance items that were suggested for me immediately and moving forward. Ever been in those shoes? Apparently, there's more uh, to the mechanisms uh, and parts uh, that contribute to safe and successful driving than what meets the naked eye. Likewise, uh, there is more to our attitudes and our longings, human ambitions and dreams and even actions than what meets uh, the naked eye. We are more complex than we let on at times. We are more sinful than we know. And 
think a human tendency, our tendency is to look around and if we see others who appear to be more wrong than we are, appear to have more problems than we do, appear to do things that are worse perhaps than what we're doing, then we think we're doing okay. According to Scriptures, God is not comparing us to anyone else. not comparing us to other fallen people. We are not responsible to others. The Gospel says that we are responsible to God. For He is our Maker. And He is holy, righteous, and transcendent. According to the Word of God, God is a holy God. He is a righteous God. He is a transcendent God. These are words that are used to describe God as one who is in a class all by Himself. There is no one else like Him. He is unrivaled. He is unmatched. He is unequaled. He is the only real sovereign. And as human beings, the crown of His creation, we are responsible to Him. We are accountable to Him. The Old Testament prophet of Isaiah describes a vision that he had. The Lord gave him in which he saw the Lord. He saw the might and the presence of the Lord. And in this vision, he was coming into the presence of the Lord. And in the Old Testament especially, it was a fearful thing, a terrifying thing to be in the presence of God, to see the presence of God because of His might, because of His strength, because of His power, because of His holiness. And so as, as Isaiah sees the, the greatness of God, he responds in this way, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5, he says, Woe to me, I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. You see, when Isaiah recognizes the greatness of God, when he encounters the overwhelming presence and might and holiness of God, he begins to realize his own sinfulness, the depth of his own sin, his own smallness compared to God. For God is holy, He is righteous, and He is transcendent, and He cannot tolerate sin. Church, according to the Scriptures... God cannot tolerate sin, lust, pride, self-centeredness, thievery, murder, idolatry. These and other sins are inconsistent with the character of God, intolerable to God, like a branch that sways in the wind and then breaks and snaps. The Bible teaches that sin severs our relationship with God. And He is a just God, a just and righteous judge who is always one who judges with equity. His justice is perfect, meaning that He must carry out His judgment against sin. The Gospel says we are more sinful than we know, yet this very same Gospel says we are more loved than we can imagine. We are more loved than we can imagine. Elsewhere in the New Testament, Paul writes to Christians living in Ephesus and he encourages them to consider this love that surpasses knowledge. According to the Bible, the love that God has for His people, the love that God has for us is a love that is beyond our comprehension. It's an unfathomable love. A love that has ultimately led Him, yes, to carry out His just judgment against sin, but to 
take on that judgment himself so that we don't have to. For Jesus took the penalty for us. Friends, the Bible teaches, the gospel teaches, the central message of our faith teaches that Jesus took the penalty for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, Paul writes, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. I passed on this message, the central message, this primary message, and this is it, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. The Christ died for our sins. Jesus took the penalty for us. You know, every fall we uh, attempt, many of us attempt, to live vicariously through a bunch of 18 to 22-year-olds that play for our favorite college football teams. And it doesn't work. You see, as loud as we cheer, as hard as we try, as much as we want our teams to win, we really don't have any major impact on the outcome of the games. But you know what? Here, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, it works. For Jesus has taken on our sin. He's taken what we deserve. He's fully absorbed the wrath of God. And He takes our stain. He he takes our guilt. And in exchange, He gives us His righteousness that God looks on us with the innocence that Christ has. He achieves for us what we can never do on our own as He dies a vicarious death on the cross for our sins. Taking the penalty that we alone deserve. The scripture stated this way in Romans chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. Or there might be some gathered here this morning who might give their life for someone else that's a good person. Perhaps someone else is near and dear to them, but that's not the norm. But two beautiful words in the pages of Scripture, but God. But God does not operate based on human norms. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Friends, that is the gospel. While we were unrighteous, while we were not good, while we were clothed in the stain of our sin and guilt before a holy and just and righteous God, Christ Jesus died in our place. He paid the penalty for us. You've heard crucifixion described. Perhaps you've seen it portrayed in film. Terrible, torturous, humiliating way to die. Public shame, excruciating pain. And yet this is what Jesus took for us. He took my sins and my sorrows. He made them His very own. He bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. Church, how marvelous. How wonderful. And my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. The Gospel says that Jesus took the penalty for us. Conquering sin and death for us. Jesus conquered sin and death for us. Took the penalty for our sin and defeated death in, in our place. The scripture stated this way, Romans chapter 6, verses 8 and 9. Now, if we died with Christ, describing here not a physical death, none of us have died on the cross as Christ did, but if we die spiritually with Christ, you know, crucifying an old way of living that is all about me and myself and I, 
been raised to walk in a new way of living that is for Him. If we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, He cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over Him. You see, Jesus was crucified in our place. He took the penalty for us, but that's not the end of the story. On the third day, He was raised back to life according to the Scriptures. Friends, that is the Gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. You've heard God's message. This is God's message. The message of the Gospel is God's message. You've heard His message. Consider His message. Consider His message. You see, this is no ordinary news. This is no ordinary message. You've heard this extraordinary news that the gospel says that we are more sinful than we know, yet more love than we could ever imagine, that Jesus paid the penalty for us, that He conquered sin and death for us. This news is too shocking to ignore. There is no reasonable, irrational, passive response to this news. You see, if untrue, then we should simply dismiss this news as fake news and go home. If untrue, then our gathering this morning is useless and in vain. But if this message is true, friends, if the gospel of Jesus Christ is true, then this changes everything. How? What does the gospel do? Well, the scriptures tell us in many places... One such place is Romans chapter 1, verse 16. There, Paul, writing to Christians in Rome, says this. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. So this is a message. We've already determined that. A message from God to be received and believed. It's a message that ultimately results in salvation for all who believe. The gospel gives hope, joy, and peace. This gospel of grace, this gospel of Jesus Christ, this message from God conveyed to us in the Scriptures is a message that gives hope, joy, and peace. Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the end of verse 32, Paul there says, he's, He says, if the dead are not raised, in other words, if there's no resurrection, if this is not true, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. If the dead are not raised, if there's no resurrection, then we Christians who believe this message have no hope. If it's not true, then no use in acting like it is. But you see, according to the Scriptures, it is true. For Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. And he was buried. But he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. In verse 5, he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. By the way, all of whom risked their lives to spread this message. Most of whom gave their lives to spread this message. They believed this, this message. They believed in the hope of the gospel. They believe in a message that 
provides hope beyond this life, but hope beyond the grave. They believed in a message that fills believers with joy. Gives us reason to rejoice. They believed in this message that provides us peace with God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. We read these words, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away, you who were once alienated and separated from God, not the people of God, that's all of us at one time, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once that way, once far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ, we've been welcomed in. We've been invited to approach God humbly, but confidently, knowing that He accepts us, knowing that He loves us in and through Jesus Christ, knowing that He looks on us with the innocence of Christ, knowing that He looks on us as sons and daughters of the Most High God. You see, this gospel that brings salvation to everyone who believes is a gospel that gives hope and gives joy and gives peace and This gospel gives life. Friends, according to the scriptures, the gospel gives life. Speaking to the crowds, Jesus uh, tells those listening, tells his disciples and others. He says the thief, referring to Satan, says the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Friends, Jesus comes that we might have abundant life, that we might have real life, that we might be born again to experience the joy of knowing Him, that we might have life with purpose and significance, that we might be led to give ourselves to something far more important than than just us. Jesus gives us abundant life. And elsewhere, Jesus is speaking to His friends, His closest friends. He's speaking to the disciples shortly before his arrest and subsequent crucifixion. He comforts them with these words recorded in John chapter 14, verses 3 and following. He says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be there. You may be where I am. He says, you know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas, one of these friends of Jesus, says to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus responds with those famous words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, Jesus gives abundant life here and now, but this is a life that only gets better as we depart from this life and enter into His presence for all of eternity. Jesus gives eternal life because the story continues. Based on the words of Scripture, this Jesus who has paid the penalty for us and defeated sin and death for us is going to come again. This Jesus is coming back to gather all who know Him, to gather all who believe in Him, all who have repented and turned to Him into His presence to experience unending hope, unexplainable joy, and lasting peace as His people. You see, the gospel gives life. And finally, the gospel changes us. The gospel of Jesus, the gospel of grace is a message from God that changes us. Elsewhere, Paul said it this way in Galatians chapter 2, verse 
20. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I live, in the body I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In other words, a new way of living, a, a new allegiance, a new Lord, new priorities. See, the message of the gospel is a message that results in radical transformation. Transformation that doesn't perhaps always appear so radical from the outside, same flesh. But a gospel that the Spirit of God uses to continually transform us from the inside out. New dreams and new ambitions, new longings, new desires. The desire to know and follow and serve Jesus Christ, the Son of God and Savior of the world. And all of this, church, by God's grace. By His grace. It's undeserved, unmerited, unearned favor and kindness. By His grace, God offers us true life in Jesus. Friends, by His grace, God offers you and me and whosoever will believe true life, abundant life, new life, eternal life in Jesus. So how's your life? Are you living? Have you received this life for all who know Christ? can joyfully say today, because He is risen, we are risen. Church, we are risen. Today, you've heard God's message. You've heard the gospel. You've considered the gospel. Let me encourage you to respond to the gospel. Respond to God's message. You see, this is a message of forgiveness of sins, of new life of hope and peace and joy that is for believers. Salvation for everyone who believes. Are you a believer? Are you believing? Have you turned to Christ? This morning I want to encourage you to wrestle with these truths, to respond to these truths in a way that the Lord leads you. I want you to know that there's some committed followers of, of Christ who are with us this morning who have agreed to be available during this time to pray with you, to talk with you. Certainly, I would love to do the same. But perhaps you've got questions about what it means to know and follow Christ. Perhaps this is something that you've never really considered. Maybe this is something you're wrestling with. Uh, maybe you, you've never really even considered it until today and you have questions about that, let me encourage you to find one of us and talk with us in just a moment. Uh, perhaps there's others here that simply would love uh, someone who believes this message to pray with them. I encourage you to come and find one of us and allow us the privilege of praying for you. Maybe there are others, even committed followers of Christ, who know the content of this message, who simply would express their commitment to further follow after Christ in a way that glorifies His name, and they'd love someone to pray with them to that end. If that's you, you come. Take advantage of this opportunity. There'll be several of us lining uh, the front and down at the sides this morning. You come. Allow us the privilege of praying for you, of talking with you. All of us, let's respond as the Lord leads us.
Let's bow in prayer. Let's stand and then respond. Father, we give you praise today. We acknowledge that you uh, are God and you are good. And this message uh, that is in the scriptures, we believe, is from you. Father, I believe this message and I pray that that I would live in light of it. Father, I pray that we would live in light of it, that we would believe it and respond accordingly. Lord, lead us now as we reflect on these truths, as we respond to these truths. Help all of us to respond in a way that glorifies your name. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray and ask these things. Amen.